The field of communication and media studies has increasingly come to address issues of power and inequality as objects of inquiry. But how about power and inequality as dynamics that are constitutive to issues that have to do with the institutional practices, the very fabric that constitutes our field? About this, another important topics is this conversation with Eugenia Michelstein is this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcikowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome everybody to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am thrilled to have with us today my dear, dear friend and incredible collaborator and most admired scholar, Eugenia Michelstein. Eugenia is Associate Professor and Director of the Department of Social Sciences at Universidad de San Andrés in Argentina. She is also co-founder and co-director of MESO, the Center for the Study of Media and Society in Argentina, a joint venture between uh, Universidad de San Andres and Northwestern University. She got her PhD at Northwestern in the program of Media, Technology and Society. Before that, she um, got her master's in the Department of Media and Communications and the London School of Economics in England. And before that, her bachelor's at Universidad de Buenos Aires in political science. Um, she also has had a very, very successful career in industry, uh, that is, in addition to her successful career in, in academia, including stints in television as a producer and at Google offices in Argentina. She has been exceedingly prolific, has two book monographs uh, co-authored at MIT Press, one edited volume in Spanish, more than 20 papers in the leading social science journals in the field of communication and media studies in English, uh, guest editor of special issues. And she's one of the foremost experts on the intersection of political communication, new media and uh, gender dynamics in Latin America. Eugenia, welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm thrilled to be here. Delighted that you can join us. Eugenia, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become a professor? This is a very interesting question because I was a very, I'd say, studious child. I was very interested in learning and in scholarship, but I never thought my parents were professional. My father was an engineer. My mother was a lawyer, but they were not academics. They didn't teach in university. So I never thought there was actually like a real job. Like I, I, I never, I didn't know anybody who was a professor at university. I, I, my, and so I, 
when I was in high school, I decided I, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I, in Argentina, there are a lot of journalism schools that are not like university level, they're more like tertiary level. And my mother, who was a, a lawyer, a professional, said, you need to, to go to university. So you can study journalism in a school, but you, can also, you also need to go to Universidad de Buenos Aires. So I started studying political science. I said, I studied journalism and political science, and that's what I did. I, I finished the journalism course, which was only three years, more kind of a technical course, or technical school. And, and I kept on studying political science, and I started working as a television producer. So I, I worked a lot and I, I did the university in the evenings and I, I graduated uh, and I, I thought I, I'd always work in journalism. While I was studying and working, I applied to, I'd say, uh, it wasn't a scholarship, it was, yes, a scholarship to at an internship at the BBC uh, in, in London and, and, I, and I got it. I, it was un concurso, I don't remember the word in English for concurso. Like, uh, contest, right? It was a contest. It was a contest for young journalists, and I won it. And I went to the BBC for a month, and I loved it. And I, and I said, I said, I want to be a journalist. While I was there, I and this is also a testament to the importance of relationships. I met a friend uh, who had worked with me in television, Sonia Halpin, and I said, What are you doing here in London? I said, I'm on, I'm on a scholarship to do my masters. I, I applied to a evening scholarship, and I got it, and I'm here. I'm spending a year in London. I thought, wow, I am in London, that's great. So I went back and I said, I'm gonna finish my BA. I was, I think like I finished it six months later than I should have. And I applied to a scholarship and I got it and I left television. I was like production coordinator when I left, I was insanely young for such a position. People told me you're crazy, you're losing the job that you, you want to do your whole life. And I said, if I don't do it now, I never do it. I was 24 and I left, for, I, I got the scholarship and I, I left for London. I did my master's in London, and as, as you said, and I came back to Argentina and I started working in Google because Google had just started and I thought this is new, this is excited. I applied and I got a position in Google. While I was in Google, somebody said, there's a professor at San Andres, Hernán Galperín, who needs a TA. Would you like to be his TA? And I had never met Hernán. He's, he's now at University of Southern California, I think, a professor there. And I met for coffee, which <laughs> it, it makes sense in Cafe Latino. So lots of these things are served in coffees in Argentina. And I said, great, I, I want to be your TA. So I, I, it wasn't easy because people in Google didn't want to let me go like a, a morning each week for me to be a TA, but I ended up negotiating that they could. And I started being a TA and being a TA there at San Andres where I'm a professor now, uh, made me realize that I love teaching. So it was like, I was already 26, so I wasn't young, or I was young, but I wasn't insanely young. And it was like love at first time, the first time I noticed that I met a student understand a difficult concept. It was like, I can make them understand. And I said to Hernan, I remember, I want to be a professor. And, and I knew nothing about this. And he said, you need to do a PhD. And, and that's when Hernan said, if you want to be a professor, you need to do a PhD, and I started applying. So I applied to four PhDs, so, and uh, I was accepted in three, and one of them was Northwestern, and I didn't know where to go. And I remember meeting with you in another cafe in Buenos Aires, in La Biela, I met with Pablo Bokoski, who's hosting this, this podcast, and I thought, that's it, I'm gonna go to Northwestern. 
So, and by the time, of course, you start a PhD, you know you want to teach and you know you want to do research. But I didn't know any of that when I was 18. That wasn't a possibility for me. And, and that, that, that wasn't something that like kind of existed in like my universe of possibilities. And it was like this very slow discovery that I could be a professor and I could devote my life to doing research and teaching and everything. And, and of course that came to fulfillment with a PhD at, 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 at Northwestern and then being a professor at San Andres and that kind of thing. But I'd like to recognize the, the, the importance of personal relations, of meeting with Sonia, uh, it was unplanned in, in London, in Aldwych in London, and she's saying, I'm doing a master's here. I'm, I'm on a scholarship. And then meeting with um, Hernan to be his TA at San Andres and then meeting with you in La Viela. So it's kind of uh, those possibilities exist. I, I didn't know they existed when I had just finished high school. And, and the fact that, that, that those possibilities exist was made clear to me because there were people who were kind enough to mention them to me. Excellent, 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 excellent. So, so I have so many questions. Um, how was London? You know, how was studying in London and how did does that compare to studying, you know, in the US both postgraduate programs in both cases? London was exciting. It's such, I mean, I had already been in London as a tourist and as an intern at the BBC, but uh, in at LSC, it's the first time that um, somebody like took the time to explain how scholarship was done. We were a master's program, it was not a PhD program, so it wasn't expected that we would become necessarily professors later or anything, but it was the first time, and, and I, I like to mention in particular um, Nick Coldry, who's still teaching, I think, at LSE, he's still a professor there, and Margaret Scammell, who has retired, but they were like, uh, this is how scholarship is done, and they were very patient with, uh, we're all like master's students, it was the first time, and, and they took their scholarship seriously. And they, they, uh, they expected that it would take what, our work seriously too. So I think it was, ex and it was also for the first time I had done all my schooling in Argentina and there were no like very few exchange students. I think I, I hadn't met an exchange student in my whole time at the Universidad de Buenos Aires. There are a little more now, there, there are a few more now, but there were none at all when I studied there from 98 to 2003. And it was exciting to be people from to be with people from all over the world who are interested in these topics. Like uh, I had a friend from India and I had a friend from Canada and I had a friend from Ecuador and I had a friend from Israel. And it was exciting to be there. And comparing with the US, um, it's difficult because I did a, a PhD in the US and I did my master's in London. But um, what I'd say was maybe different is that in, in, in the master's, and maybe because it was a master's, people weren't sure that I want to dedicate their lives to academia. So people wanted to go and work, I don't know, in magazines or in industry or something like that. It was, was what I thought I would do. I, I came back and I started work, working from Google. And when I was doing my PhD, and maybe that has changed because I started my PhD in 2007, so a, a few years ago, uh, people were pretty much set on working in academia. So there were like different orientations there. Uh, and also the, the masters, and maybe this is a US UK thing, or maybe this because one was a masters and the other one's a PhD, the masters was a little less competitive. 
uh, maybe it was because we was a master, so because I was younger or because I, I was there, I don't know. I But I, I got the feeling that it was a little less competitive. And uh, another difference, and I think this is an important difference and kind of relates to, to ways of being in the world, as a sociologist would say, is that in London, we had a bar, which was, no, we didn't. I mean, the university had a bar, which was operated by the students' union, which was open, I think it was from noon, and it served beer from noon. And I always saw somebody drinking beer at 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m. Uh, in the university, not outside the university, in the university. And that would never happen in the United States. I would never see somebody drinking beer in a bar owned by the student union in the university. And I, when we handed in our, our master's dissertation, I remember getting a pint of beer, which for me is a, is a huge amount of beer. I don't usually drink um, a pint of beer. It was like 3 p.m. And, and getting drunk with my friends from Mexico, from Israel, from Colombia uh, in celebration. And, and I, I don't think that happened in the, in the US, in, in part because we don't, in, the, in a PhD, you don't all hand in your dissertation on the same day. But I still remember it was August 15, 2005, and I see, so I remember the date, I remember the feeling, and of course, I, I remember the hangover the following day. <laughs> okay. Now, but even with that, you came to the US for your PhD. You did not apply. Did you apply to schools in the UK? No, I didn't apply to schools in the UK. And the, the, the idea I got while I was there is that it was complicated, that maybe that has changed now, but that there was less funding. I, I even had a friend there. She's, she's teaching at Glasgow University now, Anna Langer, and she's a great professor. And she had to live like in student, in student housing and be like the supervisor of student housing, like to make ends meet and that kind of thing. And, and I think the process seemed more st straightforward for the U.S., and and it's it's for me it's important to know that while I was applying and I only applied to four universities in the U.S., which is kind of crazy because now I can see my students that apply to ten. <laughs> I applied to four, and that was it. Uh, he said, if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. I had a good job at Google. I was happy, and I maybe I could have gone on to do like the corporate, uh, I don't know, career or something like that. So. Uh, but when it was a possibility, when three programs accepted me and, and I, I decided I wanted to go and, and I had my heart set on going. But I, it's, it's, not that I, it's not that I wanted to like be, do a lot of sacrifices for it. If it happened, it happened and I was happy. And if it didn't happen, I, I, I would work in Google or in some other company. I, I, I think I would have been equally happy with my job. I don't know. Okay. And as a foreign student, how was your experience uh, in the US? You talked a little bit about England. How was your experience being a student from Latin America in particular um, at a place like Northwestern? I think it's, and, and there I would make a difference between the US and the Midwest, I would say. So I had, I had, I had known, I mean, I had been as a tourist in the US I had uh, gone to work in the US, so I knew uh, New York, I knew DC, I knew Miami, and these are very three typical cities that um, I would say university uh, schooled and, and upper middle class Latin Americans will know. 
So they maybe they will have gone once to Miami or once to New York, that kind of thing. But I had never been to the Midwest. So I, I knew that Midwest, Midwest existed, and, but I had never been there. And, and, um, and, and what I, I found uh, like different is that it was, I would say, I realized that Miami and New York were not the United States. Like this is the United States. That's the feeling I got. Like the houses with the flags in the in the yard and that kind of thing. I ha I hadn't seen that as a tourist, of course. Maybe if I had gone as a tourist to Chicago, I wouldn't have seen it either because I just stayed downtown Chicago. And but I what I also found and it was like uh, surprising and heartwarming is how friendly people were. People were very. Uh, people said like goodbye, love, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And and I found the like very polite and and people were not rushed. I used to live in in Buenos Aires and in London, where cities where people are always rushed. They're always going somewhere and something is always happening. And I had the same feeling in New York the times I was there. But I liked the Midwest. It was it was polite and and people were, and and I also liked. And this is a, like maybe a very like university college experience in Midwest. Like it was snowing outside, and I was in the library, and everywhere was hush hush, and everywhere was working. And this idea of like concentration, I know something also with the I would say, like the Protestant ethics of work. I had that feeling too, and I, and I like that too. Okay, but then you decided to teach in Argentina. Yes, you and, decided not to stay. Correct. Yes, and and this has to do with personal reasons. My my husband lived in Argentina, and he didn't want to live in the in the United States. But it also had to do. I remember talking. I don't. He's a professor at Chile now, and and he said I decided to leave when I saw what tenure track could do to you. So and I wanted to have kids. Uh, and I didn't feel like a tenure track in the U.S. would be very compatible with raising kids. Uh, and, and I knew I, I, I'm interested in the project of Universidad de San Andres. It's a, it's a small private university, but uh, more than half percent, more, more than 50%, more than half of our students have some kind of scholarship. So it's very devoted to, um, I would say, diversity and that kind of thing. So I was interested in working in San Andres and I was not at all interested in, in, in spending um, six years or five years or seven years in, 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 in tenure track um, in the United States. So it, it was a, like a rush, it was a personal decision, but it was also a rational calculus. calculus. Okay, now who's the, who's the person who said this at the Universidad de Chile? Is it called? Uh, no, he's he's not from communication. I think his name is Juan Pablo Luna, but he told me yes. I, I saw what tenure track could do to you and I decided to go back to Chile. Yeah, he's a sociologist there. Um okay, so so there was I mean he, we, we talked about this later, but it was the same rationale for my decision. Like okay. Um how does it compare then to work in Argentina since you were at the issue of a tenure track, etc. Um, you got tenure not so long ago, two years ago? No, a year ago, a year, ago, a, a year, year and ago. a half ago. Okay. A year and a half ago. Um, so you were on, a, on the tenure track there. Yes. Right? Um, because yes. Universidad San Andres have, uh, has a, a tenure process that is somewhat similar to uh, the states, um, to universities in the states. So, so 
how was your experience being a tenure track professor there? And you know, from your colleagues, uh, you know, friends, professional acquaintances in the US, how does it compare the life, the everyday life, right? And the pressures, et cetera, of a professor there at, a, at a, as you said, a small uh, private institution versus what would be the equivalent in the US? This is, this is a very good question because I ended up being very productive in Argentina. So I don't think what worried me about getting tenure in the States maybe shouldn't have worried me so much. I mean, I, I don't want to make any assumptions. I don't know what would have happened, but I ended up very, very productive in Argentina. So that ended up being a problem. I got tenure. It wasn't, it wasn't an issue. I, I published. So all those things happened. But what I also have to say is that in Argentina, I have like a support system, my sisters, my family, and that I wouldn't have had that in the in the United States. So I ended up being very, very productive in part because I had that kind of, of support system. And I also, in what I, what I saw in the United States is that people are very aware from the beginning of their, like they start their tenure track process, they're very aware of how much they publish, how many papers they have to go and everything. Like it's, they are very, I don't want to say on the clock, but they know how, how much more papers or the book or whatever, what they need to get uh, tenure. They are very aware of that. I have to say that that's not the case in Argentina. You know, you have tenure like in seven years since you begin in San Andres. So you have seven years since you begin till you're, but I wasn't all the time thinking, oh, I'll get to need, I need to publish this because then I will get tenure, that kind of thing. That, that wasn't calculus at all. I haven't compared the, the tenure uh, requirements in universities from the US and from San Andres. So maybe they are not comparable and that's the reason people are not making this calculus all the time. Um, but I also, I also had like, I, I wasn't thinking about that until my, my boss at the time, who was the director of the Department of Social Science before me, Marcelo said, eh, Uge, which is how they call me in Argentina, Eugenia Uge, eh, I, it's time for you to, to, eh, to be up for tenure. You, you, we need to go, go ahead with the promotion process. And I'm like, oh, but do you think it will pass? <laughs> I said, I'm, I, I have no doubt, Eugenia, just write the letter. We'll get the, we'll get the letters from other, uh, from other scholars and everything. Write the letters, present your research, it will pass. But it wasn't something that like hung on, my, hung on me. I don't know how to say it. I wasn't worried about it during six years. Right, well, also with one monograph, one edited volume, <laughs> 20 papers, I mean, it is right, I mean, right, and then you have another one, another book uh, coming out uh, with MIT, so yes, no, but I, I hear you about the difference. Another thing that you mentioned that at the beginning, and I wonder if you could elaborate on this, you know, when we had Victor Garcia Perdomo from Universidad de La Sabana in Colombia in this podcast, the weeks ago, he uh, talked about the centrality of teaching in the everyday life of a professor um, at his university, and that he, he in part sees that sometimes as a difference between the experience of his peers in research-oriented universities uh, in the US. And you mentioned that you got um, you know, in, in part, you got the, 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 the transition towards academia started with teaching for you, not necessarily with research, and then you added the research component. Um, what role, I mean, in your case, you say, uh, does the teaching aspect play? Because you were 
director of, of you know the the major in communication and now you are chair of department um so um so you've had a lot of sort of administrative experience and experience uh, directly related to students so how does uh, the teaching aspect factor in and based on your conversations with colleagues outside of uh, Argentina or Latin America, uh, how does that compare with cases in the US or Europe? Um, so it depends on each like professor and I've had several different conversations about this, but in people particularly who are in the tenure track and who need to publish, maybe teaching it kind of takes them time away from their research. They're worried because they need to teach two courses and these two courses won't allow them to keep on with their research and that kind of thing. As I wasn't worried about that, it could, it could very well be because the requirements are lower, but I haven't compared, so I can't say. I, I found the experience of teaching um, because I, I, I knew I liked that because that's why I joined academia, because I liked teaching in the first place. And I found the experience of teaching um, very very rewarding on two fronts. First, because San Andres has is committed to this idea of diversity as a lot of students that come from different backgrounds and that kind of thing, because I could like open up like a part of the world that my students didn't know to them. So I could say, uh, this exists, you can do whatever you want with it, it's yours. Now that you know about it, it's yours. That, 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 that aspect of teaching I found very attractive. But there is another aspect of teaching which is that it allowed me to be absent from the world two hours. So when you're teaching, you can't do anything else. When you're teaching, you don't have kids because you're teaching. I mean, they can't actually, if something happens to your kids, they can't call you because you're you, you are not looking at the phone. You, you don't know anything about it. You can't worry about, I don't know, your personal life. You can't worry about whether tenure is coming up or not because you are teaching. It's an hour and 40 minutes, which is the time that lasts a class in Argentina that you only can teach. That's the only thing you do. And I very much enjoyed when I was a young mother, like when my, my daughter was born and, and the first year of, 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 of the first child is very de demanding and difficult. And I'd like to say particularly for the mother, my baby for, for the father too. But I particularly enjoyed that hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes that I could only be teaching. I was only the professor. And I was discussing this with my oldest sister, who's an actress. And she said, it's exactly like the theater. She was uh, doing La Casa de Bernarda Alba. She was Angustias, which is a very difficult um, character in La Casa de Bernarda Alba by García Lorca. And I'm like, do you end up sad? Like, do you? And she's, I love that because I, I, I can't do anything else but be Angustias. So it's a little bit the, the performative aspect of teaching. I'm, I'm also like, I'm, I also enjoy a lot. Okay. Um... And then you're an administrator, and you're an administrator in, I don't know about Universidad de San Andres, but Argentina is a very patriarchal society, shall we say, quite conservative, Catholic country, um, a lot of counter uh, forces, thankfully, um, at least thankfully for my own opinion, um, but uh, sadly the mainstream still remains quite patriarchal and uh, you know, male-dominated. Um, how is it to lead in a university setting in a country, I don't know, this is not a commentary of your university, which I don't know, but, but in a country which I know is uh, very patriarchal. Um, 
Uh, you are, my understanding is that you are the first chair of the department who's female in the history of the department, which is what, 30 plus years old? Uh, 32, yes. 32, 32. You are the first uh, chair of the department, right? Uh, who's not a male. So, so yes, can you comment on your experience leading in an academic environment in a context like that? So, yes, I, 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 I'd like to like tell a, a small story. The first time, uh, the, the time I gave my job talk in San Andres at the Department of Social Sciences, so as a, a grad student in the United States, and I gave a job talk at, at San Andres, all the audience, all, all people in the audience were men. So there were no, the whole, the whole department was composed of men. There were no uh, female full-time professors. And I'm talking about, I don't know, maybe 2009, 2010. So it's not that long ago that this happened. One of them, uh, who's no longer working in San Andres, and that's why I feel comfortable discussing this, fell asleep during, during my job talk. Uh, and uh, after we went out for lunch, and they were like, and when will you finish your PhD? Are you sure about this? Can you finish this? And because I, I still had, I think a year and a half of scholarship in Northwestern, I was very much like, I'm interested in this. I wanna do this. Think about this. I don't know, I, like, I, I always had this feeling that if it happened, it was great. If it didn't happen, I, I would find some, something else to do. And that kind of thing, uh, would not happen now for somebody who was like giving a job talk in San Andres. Now, because there are at least four female professors in a department out of 10. So we, we know no longer a, a person giving a job talk would be the only woman like presenting in front of 10 men. And uh, because there are more women in, in the department, I think uh, also the, the post uh, job talk interviews might also be a little bit friendlier. And the, thing, the, the culture has changed both in the Department of Social Sciences and in other departments in San Andres. When I gave the job talk, I didn't know about this, but there were no department chairs that were female in any departments. And in the past, like in the past uh, 11 years, I think there are at least uh, three other departments that are chaired by women. So the culture has changed very fast. And that was, uh, I gave a talk on women in the media and women and the media in Argentina. And that's why it's so uh, amazing to me that there are still so few uh, women in leadership positions in media because in other industries like in academia and even in business, I see more women leaders. So I think the culture in San Andres is, is changing fast. And the fact that it's changing fast is what in part allowed me to become a department, a department chair. Uh, I also, and, and this is probably something that has been discussed in other universities. We're discussing whether to give a COVID deferral, a pandemic deferral to people who are up for tenure, like a year out at, up for tenure. And it was very important that in the discussion, and there was a professor in another department and me, which said that was, this was particularly important for um, young mothers. So this is one of the things we, we actually gave the, the COVID deferrals to people who asked for them and, and that was okay. But I think it was important that, that there were two uh, women in the, in the committee that was making the decision to say why this was important. So I think culture is still patriarchal, but I've seen it change a lot, particularly in academia in the last uh, 11 years. 
What do you attribute the change to? Um, well, I would say societal-wide changes in general in Argentina, but also the fact that a lot of um, uh, young professors who graduated in the 90s, uh, 90s and, and early 2000s came back to Argentina and, and started seeking out positions in universities. Like they went to the States or they went to Europe or whatever, and then they came back. And, and I think that's changed from the, because there were, I can, I can name at least one of professor in Argentina, Catalina Weinerman, who did her PhD in the States, like uh, I'd say in the 70s or 80s, a long time ago. But she was like the one exception and, and everything. But once you have like, I don't know, 40% or 50% of, of um, young faculty of, of, of uh, entry-level faculty who's in that position, the culture is going to change. Okay, excellent, excellent, excellent. So how has the context influenced, um, if any way, in any way, the, the kind of research you do, the topics you choose, the methods, where do you get your data? I mean, you've been very prolific. Um, and there are some clear lines in your research program. How do you think about that? Or um, what's your, what, what has been your process? Mm, so I'm interested in people, so I like doing interviews. That's one thing, one thing I would say. I'm interested in people, so I like doing interviews. And that's why I did for my dissertation. And then I had a project about uh, comments on blogs and newspapers, and I interviewed bloggers and, and newspaper editors. So I think that that one thing that influences uh, my research is that I, 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 I like being with people and talking with people. And the other thing that influences my research, and I, and I think it's, it's, it's important, and that's why it's important to work like in a team, is that when we started MESO, I remember like in 2015, the Center for Social Media, for the Center for the Study of Media and Society in Argentina, um, uh, we had like a group of students and we wanted to teach them how to do research, no? in part, that was one of the ideas. And so first we taught them how to do content analysis and then we taught them how to do interviews. So one thing that kind of shaped also my, my research is the, the tasks these students were being trained to do, like they were being uh, taught to do with Celeste Wagner first, who's now at Penn, with Mora Matassi, who's now at Northwestern, with Facundo Suenzo, who's also now at Northwestern. And, and the data they, they, they gathered and the interviews and everything it kind of also shaped my, my research. And, and not least, and this is related to my presentation, it, it's also um, important to be aware of, of what is interesting, I'd say what is interesting for, the, uh, for people around you, like for society in general. And I was interested in gender, but I didn't quite know how to approach it. And when Victoria Andelsman came up with this idea for a dissertation, said, this is a topic we want to pursue. And so we, we wrote the paper together and everything. And then we, we carried out this uh, like experience, the knowledge we had acquired to the other papers. And I think it also ties to being aware of what, what's going on around in society. And, and, and this is tied to our column in Infobae, uh, Digital Life, and then the, the, the book. The digital environment, and this is uh, we wrote about this from 
for people who are listening to this and maybe don't know what I'm talking about, Pablo Bokoski, who's the host, and I wrote a column on Infobae on different aspects of, of digital. I, I don't want to say digital environment because that's not how we thought about it. We thought about it as, oh, digital technology, digital life and everything. And then, so we wrote about sports, we wrote about education, we wrote about dating, we wrote about working, we wrote about space, but we never wrote out and we never thought, oh, this is going to be a book. But then when we thought, this is going to be a book. I think it had to do in part with the feedback we received from readers. Like people were interested in this. So I also think about my research in terms of, okay, what, what, what kind of hits a note? I don't know how to say this. Que, que, que pica, I would say in Spanish. What has a dollar response? Yes, yes. So that's, that's, that's interesting to me too. So that's that's the journalist in you who's the producer <laughs> yeah. and the journalist who's I, thinking I, about the audience. And, and I have to say, when I was thinking of all um, all the research I've conducted, like since I, I started my PhD, what's going to be interesting to audiences? I thought the the issue of gender is going to be interesting. So I had never necessarily tied these four papers together, but I I saw there was a thread running, and I went with my with my TV producer instinct to say we can make a program out of this. Let's make a program. I see you're referring to the, the seminar that you gave at the yes. center. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, so, and you've been very active in the international uh, circuit, especially at uh, the International Communication Association, which is a venue where not a lot of people from Latin America sort of uh, frequent. Um, so what has been your experience both when you were a student and living in the States versus when you started going from Argentina? Did it change, not change? What has been your, your experience as a, as a person from Latin America? Okay, so well, when I was a student in the States, I was one more student in the States. I was uh, young, I was, uh, I'd say, an apprentice. So I got the kind of attention a young apprentice gets. People are kind, people are friendly, people maybe give you up dice, that, that kind of thing. I, I, I got it all and I enjoyed it and I was like very fresh eyed and, and like, this is great and everything. When I decided to, I would say, forego a career in the States and, and focused on a career in Latin America, um, maybe what changed, I was no longer an apprentice. I was a colleague there, of course, I was, I was a professor. But also what changed, and I don't think it's, this happened to me in the International Communication Association, but maybe it could have would have happened in other associations if I had gone. Is the the idea that what's central, what's important, is what happening what's happening in the United States? So people talk about the promotions and jobs and everything. I don't have a lot to add to that because I can say I, we're looking for somebody in Buenos Aires, but maybe it would be very interesting for 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 most of them. So the feeling I had is not that, that people didn't, were, were not nice about it, but that I was kind of like um, in the sidelines. I don't know how to say this. Me and other scholars from, from Latin America too. And at the same time, I wasn't like, I, I, I wasn't working in the States, so I wouldn't be up for like a, a, a job in the States. Or, no, uh, or an administrative position in the States. So that kind of, it made it a little, best, a little less interesting for people to talk with me because um, International Communication Association is of course a scholarly conference, but it's also a, like a, a, a trade encounter, I'd say. Uh, and I, I think it's great that it works that way. I think it's, it's work, like it's an industry, it's an industry meeting and I think that's fine. And I'm kind on the sidelines of the 
uh, and I think um, I, I, a, a colleague somebody one time said, it's great. We, we come and we give ICA local color. <laughs> <laughs> we put the international in ICA and I, I kind of, I mean, I love going there and I meet with friends and I have coffee with people who live all over the world and I never get to see. And I, I, one of the things I love most is that I always get a coffee with Erica mentioned Trevino, who was a student with me at Northwestern and we talk about our, our jobs, our kids, but I don't feel like I'm people are I, like, I need to talk with Eugenia because she knows what's going on in the States because I don't know what's going on in the States. That, that has to be said. Like I'm, I'm, I know what's going on in Argentina, so and maybe people are not that interested. So I, I found it very, I'd say, heartwarming that when we started, like already like three years ago, um, uh, the Latinx uh, and Latinx media uh, pre-conference, I got to meet a lot of people like me. <laughs> exactly now, which 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 speaks about center periphery dynamics that you have written about this quite eloquently, um, not just for the professional association, but for production of knowledge. Um, so what is the place of Latin America today, if any, in scholarship in the field? So on the one hand, I'd like to say that the place of scholarship is growing. I uh, Like you mentioned, um, uh, you didn't mention, you mentioned at the end of my seminar that Magdalena Sarlania would give me a talk and she works at Universidad Pontificia Universidad Católica de Chile. I know that um, uh, Victor Garcia Perdomo also participated. So I can name increasingly more uh, people who are, who maybe did their PhD in the States, but then came back to Latin America and are, I would say, full players of the academic environment. Uh, in English. So on the one hand, I'd like to say that, that the place of Latin America is uh, growing. On the other hand, the fact that I know these issues, like for a fact, I don't know who is German and is publishing in the States. I don't know who is British and is publishing. I have no idea. And it's not because I'm not German. and It's because that's, that's not a distinction there. So the fact that I, I know this and I get happy about this, kind of speaks of how we're like uh, in the middle of the way. And, and, and also like um, we wrote about this uh, in the introduction to the special issue on digital journalism in Latin America and the journal digital journalism, the journal digital journalism. I'm looking forward to the moment when there doesn't have to be a special, a special issue on Latin America in any journals. It's kind of, yeah, it's, or, or there are special issues on other topics, I don't know on Scandinavia or in Southeast Asia. On Southeast Asia, actually there are because it's also part of the periphery. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to that. And I don't know if it will happen because center periphery dynamics are very, uh, they have a lot of inertia. So I don't know if it will happen in my lifetime, but I'm certainly looking forward to it happening somewhere in the future. Okay, now, that's a follow-up on that then if you have magical powers and and could be granted one wish about how you'd like the field of communications and media studies to change what would you wish for uh, i wish uh for the and i thought about this a lot but i'd wish and i'm gonna give a very much um a latin american perspective of this maybe 
left-wing Latin American perspective, but I'd wish for the field of communications to acknowledge the issue of power. I feel the issue of power is very much unacknowledged in uh, communications. It's, it's, the acknowledgement is growing and, and power um, in, in research and also power in, in the industrial or the academic dynamics and power and inequality. So one thing I find crazy is that I, um, that the fees that uh, scholars from Latin America have to pay to go to ICA are I'd say maybe two thirds of what scholars in the States have to pay. But purchasing power in dollars is much less than two thirds in, in Latin America. So I'm, I'm privileged, my university pays it for me, so I, I don't have to, uh, it's not out of my pocket, but for people I know it's impossible, it's impossible. And, and now the conference is um, virtual, so anybody can participate, but of course you have to add to that the, the price of going to Colorado or to DC or to Prague or to whatever the conference is. So I'm, if we acknowledge power and if we acknowledge inequality, we might think of how, how it, it would be easier for uh, people from other regions and maybe not central regions to, to participate uh, in the scholarly community as full members. Okay, thank you very, very much. Uh, this has been a terrific conversation. Uh, thank you for sharing your journey and your thoughts with us. Uh, thank you. Uh, to the listeners for staying with us to the end and I invite everybody to join us again at the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure participating. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcicki, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi. 